From a very young age, Time Magazine reporter Pico Iyer has had a close personal relationship with one of the world's great spiritual and political leaders, the Dalai Lama. In 1960, his father, a professor of philosophy and a student of world religions, was among the first Westerners to seek out an audience with His Holiness. Traveling from his home in England, Iyer's father journeyed back to his native India to meet with the Dalai Lama, then around the age of 24. In their conversation, the Tibetan Buddhist leader in exile and Iyer's father discussed ancient mystic wisdom that had been unavailable to the outside world for centuries. And with the exchange of a single simple gift, they also established a connection between the Dalai Lama and Iyer that now spans almost 50 years. At the end of his conversation with the Dalai Lama in 1960, he said, well, you know, I've got this little three-year-old boy back in England, uh, and he was already quite interested in the story of your dramatic flight from Tibet into India. And so the Dalai Lama, with his great gift for the perfect gesture, found a photo of himself when he was five years old and sent it to me. So from the time I was three, I had the photo of this little boy, five years old, already ruling six million people. And, you know, I didn't understand exactly who or what the Dalai Lama was, but I could make it just a contact with this little boy sitting in this place, and I could see what all the responsibility he had. So in that sense, I grew up with the image of the Dalai Lama, and stories of the Dalai Lama from the time I was a little boy. From that gift of a photograph to their first meeting years later, Ayer and the Dalai Lama have become good friends. And through the course of his career as a journalist, Iyer has cultivated a deep insight into the philosophy that has guided the Dalai Lama toward a peaceful resolution to the conflicts between China and Tibet. In his new book, The Open Road, The Global Journey of the 14th Dalai Lama, Iyer shares his view on the spiritual and political path we all might take to find peace in our lives and the world in which we live. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. I mean, I've been lucky enough to know the Dalai Lama for 33 years, since I was 17. And I've been traveling with him around the world almost since that time, and traveling to Tibet, and was with him the day after he was awarded the Nobel Prize, and I've seen him in all kinds of situations. So I've been writing about him in Tibet for a long time. And the other part of my life is I'm a journalist for Time magazine, so I spend a lot of my time in Beirut and Sri Lanka and Haiti and Cambodia, these very troubled, war-shadowed places. And so a part of me was thinking, what does this very lucid, far-sighted, discerning man have to offer to these seemingly intractable situations across the world? And especially at the beginning of this century, because I think most of us who travel see that the world is more polarized than it ever has been before in, in my memory and our country is more divided and I thought this might be the time to bring in the somewhat liberating example of this Tibetan who says that Tibet is partly responsible for some of its problems and this uh, Buddhist who when he travels tells people not to take up Buddhism but actually to stay in their own traditions and so it cuts through all the either or, or you're with us or against us divisions and offers a more expansive view so I thought this was the time to put my 30 years together into this book. Now, a big part of what the book has to offer is, as you just said, being able to offer alternatives to some of the paths that our culture, both nationally here in the United States and internationally around the world, have taken. What is it about the Dalai Lama's message that allows people to make the distinction between 
you know, one path that might lead to war and violence and another one that might lead to peace? Yes, that's a beautiful question. And I think it's partly that he's so sane and so rational. And unlike most religious leaders, when he's talking to us, he doesn't talk about faith or leaps of faith or uh, belief systems. He just almost like a professional philosopher or logician breaks down what's going on in the world, says, if you're angry, you're going to do more harm to yourself than whoever your apparent victim is. If, if, uh, if you're kind, you're going to make yourself feel better. And I think make, he manages to, to distill this very complicated, intricate philosophy into simple, lucid, everyday precepts that anyone can use with her boss or her mother or her, her loved ones. And it doesn't have anything to do with Buddhism any more than the law of gravity is Christian because it was found by Isaac Newton. They're just human truths that I think he has discovered by meditating for one thing for every eight hours a day for 67 years and exploring the, the complications of the mind and the emotions in ways most of us haven't. And I think part of what's exciting to me about the Dalai Lama, which is often forgotten, is that he's the single most seasoned political leader in the world. He's been in charge of his people for 68 years. So you have a political leader who's a monk and who's speaking from that non-divisive, selfless, much more far-sighted vision of a monk. At the same time, as we were saying, as you've got a monk who holds to these very rigorous scientific principles and who says, I don't want to hold to anything because I want to believe it, or, and who says even the Buddhist, Buddha's own words should be thrown out if new scientific research, let's say at the University of Wisconsin, finds the Buddha's teaching to be faulty or incomplete. So it's unusual for a monk to be so open-minded. It's unusual for a politician to, to be so monastic. And he brings all these roles together um, in a way that I think liberates them all. And it's a, I think he must be the only head of state, really, in the world today who's a spiritual figure. And that in itself helps us to, you know, I think one of the things that moves people a lot about the Dalai Lama, recent times have been, there's been all this disturbance in Tibet, he be, and Tibetans have been oppressed by the Chinese for 60 years. Every day he wakes up and the first thing he does is to pray for the Chinese people. And that's such a, a counterintuitive, kind of radical vision of the world, where you don't think of the other person as their enemy, but uh, you think of him really as, as a member of your family. And, and a Tibetan has to care as much about a Chinese as he would care about a fellow Tibetan. You know, I think the core of all the Dalai Lama's ideas is this notion, the central notion of Buddhism, which is interdependence, and that we're all part of one body. And for the Tibetans to hit the Chinese is like for one of us to smash our own arm or whatever. And I think that's what's also made him such an interesting environmental thinker, because for, I think for 35 years now, he's been stressing how the whole world is a single unit, and that is why we have to have responsibility. And those of us in privileged places like the US have to be thinking about other countries and have to be thinking about the consequences of our action. And now, of course, we hear that a lot from many, many places. But because of his ideas, he was talking about environmentalism and globalism, I think before most of us had even heard the terms. And uh, in that sense, a small example of how quite a far-sighted thinker. Now, far-sighted thinking is almost un-American. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we usually think in terms of four-year presidential administrations. Will it take this type of long-range thinking in order to get past some of the political and social problems that we have today, in your opinion? Yes, again, that's such a good question, and you're absolutely right. I think we have to think in terms of centuries. And, and I think it's a human thing to think in terms of the short term. As you know, even within the Tibetan community, more and more Tibetans are saying, we've got to act now. How can we sit by and practice forbearance and tolerance while our country's being wiped out and our cousins are being imprisoned and our, our mothers are, are being killed. And the Dalai Lama says that if you do anything in the short term, it'll only have unimaginable, terrible consequences in the long term. And you'll, you'll 
harm your own family and the Tibetans if you act too quickly or intemperately. But it's hard for any human being to listen to that message. And he's saying that the, kind, the, the fruits of our actions may be felt even not in this century. And so most of us aren't in the habit of thinking we want to do something now that 150 years from now people can gain from. But I think he's been very persuasive in showing us whether American or Tibetan, that's the only way to go. And one advantage he has is most of our politicians are permanently running for office and they're only thinking of the next election four years from now. And he's a politician who's permanently in play. You know, he's Dalai Lama for life. And so he doesn't have to think even in those terms. Doesn't have to think about competition and doesn't have to think about coming elections and that allows a more spacious consciousness. But I think he would understand that it's hard for anyone to see things in that much larger picture, in the larger picture in terms of the globe and the larger picture in terms of time. But I think he would say we just have to try to learn to do it one by one in small ways in our own life. So that's a good lesson for us to hear but it's still a very difficult lesson for us to hear. Now tell me a little bit about your book. How did you come about the title, The Open Road? Well, I was happy about that title because it actually comes from D.H. Lawrence, the British writer, novelist, writing about Walt Whitman, the great American poet. Uh, and Walt Whitman says the great definition of democracy is soul meets soul on the open road. Just all of us are in this together. We're walking down the open road, fumbling, stumbling, getting diverted, but just trying to make our way to what closer to where we want to be. And the way that democracy works is really we help one another along that way. And one reason I was happy to choose that title was to suggest that the ideas that the Dalai Lama is bringing to America have nothing to do with Tibet or Buddhism or monasticism, though he has in strong and intricate ideas and all that, but are as close to us as Walt Whitman or, or Ralph Waldo Emerson. They're in fact all around us in our own culture, but sometimes it takes a foreign voice <laughs> wearing monastic robes to bring it to us in Madison or Colorado, and then we start to listen. But I was trying to sort of de-exotify and demystify and say, this isn't something that you have to apprentice yourself to a Tibetan Buddhist teacher for 10 years to learn. It's something that's in our culture and has been forgotten. But if you think of the great thinkers, whether it's the founding fathers of this country or Whitman and Thoreau and some of our great writers, they've all been reminding us of these key ideas that really just have to do with possibility, looking at reality so closely that you see the possibility within it. And I like the sense of democracy with the Dalai Lama because one interesting aspect of his life, he's a spiritual and political leader of all the Tibetans, but he hasn't been to Tibet himself for 49 years. So when I go to visit him in his house, often the person he's waiting to see will be a backpacker, just a regular 20-year-old kid, maybe from Madison. And the Dalai Lama realizes that that 20-year-old kid has something useful that that person can teach the Dalai Lama because that kid has just come back from Tibet. Or there'll be a, a student from Taiwan and the Dalai Lama was eager to meet anyone from any Chinese background, just on that small human level to make contact between the Tibetan and the Chinese. And so I think in that sense, it's a startling image of democracy from a head of state who is ready to listen to even the sort of homeless person in the street. He figures, well, that person knows things that I don't. The book, The Open Road, The Global Journey of the 14th Dalai Lama by Pico Iyer is published by Random House and is available in hardcover wherever books are sold. This interview with the author was recorded in 2008 during the Telluride Mountain Film Festival in Telluride, Colorado. Music this week by Jake Chimobukuro. This recording from Season 1 of the Joy Trip Project was originally brought to you thanks to a generous grant from Keen Footwear. Also thanks to our current sponsors, 
Recreational Equipment Incorporated, REI, in Patagonia. We don't take money from just anyone. Sponsors of the Joy Trip Project support our mission of an active lifestyle through outdoor recreation and community involvement. Support us by supporting them. Find links to their websites on ours at joytripproject.com. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word by posting a link to it on your Facebook page or send it as a tweet to your followers on Twitter. Social media is a vibrant exchange of ideas. Join the conversation by becoming involved. Post your comments to the Joy Trip Project blog or send us an email at info at joytripproject.com. Share your stories. Share your passion for outdoor recreation, environmental conservation, acts of charitable giving, and practices of sustainable living. And you just might inspire our next joy trip together. But most of all, don't forget to tell your friends. Until next time, take care. Take care.